On the Record with Gavin Riley. Sunday morning at 11. Brought to you by PwC, a dedicated private business team built around you. It all adds up to the new equation on News Talk. Now you listen to On The Record. Now, just listen to this. 80 years ago, in September 1943, of course, World War II was raging. Our, our Parliament, Dáil Éireann, reconvened and a member of the Labour Party, Dick Corish, praised the recent improvement in Radio Éireann, as it was known then. And he was talking about a result of a taboo or basically a ban on dance music imposed over that particular summer. Thankfully, modern society is a far, far, far cry from the 1940s, but... We now want to know more about what was going on and what was effectively a ban on pop music. Can you just imagine that? Our dance music, as it was called. And here in our Hidden Histories uh, item, Damien Corliss is a journalist. He's joining me and he's also the author of several books, including You'll Ruin Your Dinner and a great book on the national sweepstakes called The Great Bleeding Hearts Racket in the World. Damien, you're very welcome to Hidden Histories. Thank you, Emmett. Now, war on pop music, I suppose pop music, as we know, wasn't really around then, but was something called dance music was around. Yeah. Um, talk to us a little bit about what was going on, what the kind of music that they were looking at and why they felt the need to, to, to effectively ban this form of art. Yeah, dance music was um, a, an umbrella uh, term for what they called swing, jive, hot music, race music um, and uh, crooning. Um so crooning would be Bing, Frank, uh, Glenn Miller, orchestra type big people. Big band type, B- yeah. Big band stuff, yeah. So essentially it was uh, it was the middle of, uh, it was September 1943 when uh, Corish made uh, his, uh, he me- me- expressed his pleasure at the fact that the taboo on dance music imposed over the summer was working uh, because if he said that if the Irish people had to listen to much more of this crooning and, and jazz that uh, we'd have no more music uh, left in this country and he said that, you know, we should be, you know, uh, concentrating on our great violinists and uh, vocalists or whatever. Um, so essentially, uh, there was nothing better to do for, for the government. Uh, we were stuck in the emergency. Everything was stagnant. Society was stagnant. The economy was stagnant. So they renewed a war that they had initially uh, waged on pop music, on jazz, at the very, very beginning of the state when the free state imposed the first Brexit the first, we exited Britain, essentially, mm. and we imposed a hard border uh, in 1923. And uh, the the things that were uh, forbidden were the importation, there were severe penalties for the importation of extracts of tea, coffee, tobacco, plus severe penalties for importing dogs, guns, cocaine, heroin. Well, there's, a, there, there's <laughs> merit in a few of them now, to be fair. But yeah. some of those, uh, plus foreign books and music. And the ban on foreign music was exclusively aimed at jazz because they had... Um, well, let, let, let's get this out of the way because you mentioned race music. From what you've done and what you've researched on this, it is a big motivation of this it was uh, black base music. racism. It is, was, is is that the core oh, problem absolutely. here? Absolutely, base racism. That you, <laughs> that's a perfect term for it. Yeah, um, the, the 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 people that came into power at the very start of the nineteen uh, twenties, at the start of the jazz age. The jazz age was a release for society, Western society. You know, uh, a release from the horrors 
of the uh, First World War that they'd gone through and they wanted frivolity and they wanted fun. The people that came into power in Ireland, they were Puritans to a man and they were virtually all men because one of the first things they did apart from band uh, black music was they tried to put their uh, former women comrades, revolutionaries back in their box, which meant back in the kitchen. So these were young Puritans, both Fianna Fáil and Cumann na Gael. They both came from the same Sinn Féin, sure. Puritan uh, gene pool, essentially. And they were all dedicated to realising an Ireland that was ourselves alone, Irish-speaking, 32 counties. Kevin O'Higgins, who was the deputy leader of the country at the age of 30, they were all very young. Kevin O'Higgins, he boasted that they were the most conservative-minded revolutionaries ever to stage a successful revolution. And that tells you where they were coming from. So jazz for these people was a four-letter word. Apart from the bands, they stirred up uh, hostility to uh, jazz as well. For example, in the mid-1930s, there was a rally in Leitrim led by churchmen and politicians. And about 3,000 people turned up and they were attended by pipe bands playing edifying, you know, patriotic music. And there were placards which were very much in the line of Father Ted's down with this sort of thing. Uh, there There were placards saying down with jazz and out with paganism. (laughs) And uh, covering the the protest, the uh, Leitrim Observer said that we must no longer, quote, disgrace the saints and martyrs of our race and that it was time that now that Christendom was about to expel the last and the worst invader. And that was jazz of Johnny Bull, Britain. And the cannibals. And right. the cannibals so this meant was, the this, American black people. This was xenophobic, you know, oh, like, yeah. against a number of different groups. Yeah. What is a flapper? <laughs> well, they particularly detested the flappers. The flapper was a young woman in the 20s and it lasted slightly into the 30s but was really a phenomenon of the 1920s. And it was essentially young women who felt liberated and they wore shorter skirts they danced the Charleston and other jazz numbers. Uh, they got into very much, and the the official Ireland and the newspapers came really heavily down on this new fashion that they went for, the permanent wave, which was a bob, and so it was boyish. And this just this this gender confusion really threw official Ireland, you know, from the church. Sounds like something politicians. we're dealing with in twenty twenty two, twenty three. Very it? much it's so, a, and it really uh, was. history comes in cycles. Yeah. yeah. So, so you had um, this um, a government TD who happened to be a medical doctor. He urged uh, the health minister Dick Mulcahy to ban chewing gum because flappers were associated with chewing. Okay, gum. Okay, so we've got cocaine, yeah. dogs, <laughs> chewing gum, chewing gum, women yeah. with outrageous uh, hair. Uh, so, so this this doctor TD. Uh, he urged his own colleagues to ban chewing gum on the grounds uh, primarily that it caused demoralisation and injury to health, but especially to uh, young girls. But uh, the health minister said no. And so uh, the TD doctor came back and he made the completely groundless allegation that uh, in an age of TB, that uh, chewing gum was a major carrier of disease. Well, it does stick to the pavement, but yeah, it's a bit <laughs> it of a does. stretch on yeah. the disease and so, part. Uh, like I said, the, the newspapers chimed in uh, against the flapper. And there was a, a sort of a new phenomenon in Ireland that of the, the past couple of decades and it was becoming more and more prominent of the typing pool. So this gave young women 
an opportunity to because they a lot of them had been working as servants in big houses and sure and domestic mid, service was domestic huge in the period was yeah. huge and that was that had been sort of lost over World War One but now the typing pool provided an outlet for young girls to go into work but these were um, characterised in the newspapers as shop girls and typists who were they were cast as home wreckers because they always had their they they were dressed dressing up in this flapper gear and these short uh, haircuts and these shorter skirts. Chewing gum. And <laughs> chewing gum, smoking cigarettes and eyeing up the boss. And, the- and what I find interesting about what you're talking about is, is you, you mentioned the Labour Party so I would have expected your entire presentation to be maybe more on the Fine Gael side or Cumann de Gael as they were once known but it sounds like this kind of view, this very conservative social climate was across all parties, across, all ideologies. It was yeah. across it. And, and of course, you have um, now talk today of there being, uh, you know, room for a new farmers party. Mm. There, there have been farmers. Yeah. Par- and there was there a farmers been. party at that time and they were to the right of, of coming to there's slight, there's slight tiny space over the far extremes <laughs> to be yeah, occupied exactly now I mean a lot of what went on then was it was very much about gender it was a male the political establishment I mean you just look at the photographs you know you look at the cabinet pictures etc etc it, it's just extraordinarily one-sided so this actually permeated into radio as well and what was advertised and the kind of themes that went on from, there. from the very foundation of uh, Radio Erin there was a blanket ban on any mention of cosmetics. And they took ads from the very start, another issue that we're dealing with at the moment. But uh, Radio Erin, they took ads, but they would not take ads for women's cosmetics, for blusher, for lipstick. These were immoral and they they wouldn't take them because they were immoral and they might even inflame the uh, listeners, uh, you know, okay. listening. This war on pop music finally came to an end and intriguingly brought to an end by Charles Hoy in Ballyfermot. What, what happened in Ballyfermot? Yeah, Why they, was they, Charles Hoy there? By, by the late 80s, they, they, the political class had... Ireland was basically bankrupt on its seas. The politicians threw in the towel. They, the, the mantra of the late 80s was that young people were our greatest national asset. So you had at the very end of the 80s, in a formal act of surrender, uh, you had the Taoiseach of the day, uh, Hockey, uh, the Taunashta, Brian Lenehan, the local Mr. Fixit, uh, Liam Lawler. They all turned out, all the heavyweights from the government turned out to cut the ribbon on the Ballyfermot Rock School. And that was the official sort of milestone that brought it on to an end. And the irony is that just as Ireland was gearing up, you know, for a, a conveyor belt of the new, the next U2s coming out, what we got instead was we got Boy's own. We got Louis Walsh. Yeah. We got we got a throwback to the 1950s, and it was just manufactured pop. And so none of it ever happened uh, yeah. as expected. Well, all of you at Electric Picnic, just be glad you're actually allowed down there. Enjoy the music that was once banned. Don't chew any chewing gum because uh, there is sort of historical memory there. But for now, thank you very much for bringing a fascinating story. Sort of bizarre at times, but a very interesting little uh, walk through. Damien Corliss, who is a journalist and author of several books. One of them is You'll Ruin Your Dinner and the Greatest Bleeding Hearts Racket in the World. Thank you for joining us on On The Record. Thank you. On the record with Gavin Riley, Sunday morning at 11. Brought to you by PwC, a dedicated private business team built around you. It all adds up to the new equation on News Talk.